Good morning, everyone. Manisa and I are spending a few days in Kentucky and Tennessee, but we wanted to add our congratulations to all the dads today. Hope you have a great day. We're praying for you and really proud of you. Hope you also enjoy your free appetizer at Longhorn and have a good time with your family when you go to visit there. But uh, I want to introduce our speaker today. Jay Harbwick has become a good friend of mine. I've enjoyed getting to know him over recent years. He's now the new director of church planning for our South Carolina Baptist Convention and until recently was pastor of North Rock Hill Church in our city. And uh, I think Jay's in the, the perfect place. God's, God's prepared him for this ministry. Looking forward to what God's going to do in his life. And Jay, thank you for preaching today. And uh, First Baptist Family of Faith, would you join me in welcoming to, the, to our pulpit today, Brother Jay Hardwick? It's great to see you, and I want to tell you what an honor it is to be able to be here. And uh, when uh, Steve asked me uh, to preach here, uh, it just was a thrill and a joy because of what he has meant to me uh, during my time here in, uh, in Rock Hill. Uh, it was the fall of 2011 that I was called to, uh, to North Rock Hill to serve as pastor. And one of the first uh, phone calls that I received after uh, that call was made uh, formal and final was from, uh, from Steve. We had connected uh, some years ago and had crossed paths through the years every once in a while. But uh, he called to congratulate me and to extend his encouragement. And uh, we got together uh, soon after we uh, got here and moved to Rock Hill. And I began uh, serving at North Rock Hill. And I just want to say as a young guy who very often has no idea what he's doing as a pastor... What a gift it was to be able to stand on the shoulders of a spiritual giant in this community uh, like Brother Steve Hogg. And I'm so thankful for him. I'm so thankful for you, uh, your faithfulness to the gospel. Uh, you had a huge part in planting North Rock Hill Church in the late 90s, early 2000s as that church was beginning. Uh, your support, your encouragement, your prayers, uh, and your involvement played a huge role in that church starting. It's just awesome to see the legacy of faith. Uh, that God has used First Baptist to to plow forward in this community. And uh, I'm excited, too. Every time I get together with Steve, we get together, we have lunch quite often and breakfast and uh, all of that. Uh, I ate a lot of Bob Evans with him. If you uh, know anything about his uh, meeting plans, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, I got introduced to Bob Evans uh, by, uh, by Steve, in fact. But every one of our meetings, I left so encouraged uh, to see someone who has served so faithfully for so long, still have so much energy and so much passion and so much vision uh, for the gospel, for the mission of God in this community and beyond. And so I want you to know, uh, you already know this, but you are blessed with an incredible pastor and an incredible staff, and you are a blessed church. And uh, it is very appropriate to, uh, to clap and honor and appreciation there. And so, uh, so this is a big deal. This is a big deal uh, for me to be able to be here today, and I count it just a, a huge, huge honor. Uh, one of the things that, that was really a, a joy of being here uh, in Rock Hill was the camaraderie that a lot of us pastors shared together. I just talked about all the times that Steve and I would get together for lunch and uh, breakfast and all of that, but there were several other pastors. We would get together quite often, and uh, we, we would talk a lot about what it would look like for our churches to strategically and intentionally partner together to reach our community with the gospel because it would be very easy for us to think that because there's a lot of churches in York County, uh, throughout our surrounding counties as well, Chester, Lancaster, etc., it would be very easy for us to think that, well, everybody goes to church. Uh, but the reality is very far from that. 
Um, the reality is that 8 out of 10 people on a given Sunday are not connected to a faith family. They're not worshiping in a faith. They're not doing what we're doing right now. Okay? And the reality of that is the vast majority of those 8 out of 10, if not all 8 out of 10, um, it's not just that they're not connected into a faith family where they're worshiping on that one particular Sunday, it's very likely that many, if not all, do not have a relationship with Jesus and have no relationship at all with a faith family. Now, for years, okay, uh, in the South, we could just sort of throw the doors open at church and assume that, that people would come, right? New people move into the area. Um, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to come looking for a church because that's just what you do, particularly if you lived in the South. But we've seen that progression change, right? And in recent years especially, as the South has grown, our population has grown, particularly here in York County, as the population has exploded, uh, people moving in from all over the country, from all around the world, okay? And with that come all sorts of spiritual factors and influences. And the reality is that very few people who move into our community, who move into our neighborhoods, who move into our backyards, right, very few people who move into our schools and move into our workplaces and uh, come and join the gym where we work out or come and join the, the golf course where we play golf, very few of these folks have a relationship with Jesus. Very few of the people who have lived here for years have a relationship with Jesus. And so there's constantly this question that we have to all wrestle with is how is God calling us to join with him in his everyday mission? How is God calling us as followers of Jesus to join with him, to join our everyday lives with him and his everyday mission to see our community and to see our world reached with the gospel? Because this is not just a challenge that we experience right here in our, in our specific location in Rock Hill or in York County, okay? This is a global deal. There's 1.6 billion people approximately in our world who have never even heard the name of Jesus, 1.6 billion who have little to no access to the gospel have never even heard the name of Jesus and billions more who are not worshiping him and they're worshiping any number of other false gods following all kinds of false religions. And so we have to wrestle with this question, right? If we, if we believe that, that heaven and hell are real places and people go there, right, and it's for all of eternity, then we have to wrestle with this question of, God, how are you calling us? to join our everyday lives with you in your everyday mission to see every man, woman, and child in this community, in this state, this nation, and to the ends of the earth have the opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. Now, when we talk about these numbers, okay, uh, we talk about tens of thousands of people right here in our community. We talk about hundreds of millions of people in our nation. We talk about billions of people in the world who don't know Jesus, don't have access to the gospel, whatever it might be, it can start to get a little bit overwhelming, right? And we can start to think, well, I'm just one person. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a business guy. Uh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a student. How could I possibly be able to be involved in the, in the mission of God? I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church planner. How could God use me? And I want you to see from a story in the scriptures, this is one of my very favorites, in Acts chapter 8, if you've got a copy of God's word with you and you'd turn there, Acts chapter 8, uh, one of my fa favorite pictures of how the gospel spreads and how God uses his people in our everyday lives to join with him in his everyday mission to make the gospel known 
to every man, woman, and child in our communities and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40 is what we're going to walk through here in just a moment. Now, the context here, early part of the book of Acts, you may be familiar with this. The church is exploding. Thousands of people are being added to the faith uh, literally day by day. A significant event has just occurred just before this. Uh, Stephen, who is one of the servant leaders of the church, had been arrested for his faith. He was put on trial, and ultimately he was stoned for being a follower of Jesus. Now the result of this was Christians who were in Jerusalem began to scatter out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that they were experiencing and somewhat for fear that maybe what they saw happen with Stephen might happen with them. But God was at work through all of that because as the Christians scattered outside of Jerusalem, well then he began to use his people to make the gospel known in places where the gospel to that point had not been made known. And so the gospel is spreading, the mission of God is advancing, even in spite of the persecution that had come against the church. And this is the beginning of the fulfillment of Jesus' commission to the disciples. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, and once they received his power, that they would be his witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, but then extending all the way to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. God was beginning to fulfill that promise, and he was using his people. And one of the people that he uses is a man named Philip, filled with the Spirit of God, called to be a servant leader in the church, is sent by God on a specific mission. And in uh, this interaction that Philip has, joining his everyday life in the everyday mission of God, I think there's a lot that we can learn about how the gospel spreads and how maybe God would want to use us joining our everyday lives with his everyday mission. So in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, I want to read the passage in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and walk through it a little bit and find some things that will help us join our lives with the everyday mission of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, the Scripture says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So in this interaction of Philip... And this Ethiopian eunuch, we see how the gospel spreads and we see how we can join our everyday lives in the everyday mission of God to see every man, woman, and child reached 
with the gospel. Now Philip had had a successful ministry already going in Samaria, but God redirects him. And in verse 26, says that the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. And the truth that we can glean from that short statement is that God sends us as his people. God sends us. God saves us by his grace so he can send us in his power that we would live our lives for his glory to make the gospel known wherever it is that God might send us. Because here's the truth, church. The gospel goes wherever God wants it to go because the gospel goes in you. The gospel goes wherever God wants it to go because the gospel goes in you. You have been saved by the grace of God. You've been filled by the Spirit of God. You have been called by the Word of God to go and live your life for the glory of God. And God uses you to make the gospel known wherever you go. To be a disciple is to be a missionary. To be a disciple is to be a missionary. Yes, God does call some specifically to vocational ministry, be it uh, as a missionary or a pastor or a church planter, but rest assured that anyone who has the Spirit of God living inside of them has been called by God to join their lives in His mission to make Himself known. God wants to use you to make the gospel known in all the places that He has sent you. The great pastor, Charles Spurgeon, said that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And here's the reality. If we want to make it our aim and our goal to reach every man, woman, and child with the gospel, it is going to require every man, woman, and child who has the gospel being engaged in that mission. To reach every man, woman, and child requires every man, woman, and child. And I love that phrase, rise and go. Rise and go. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that you are a morning person? Anybody in here a morning person? There's a few of you. Okay, more of you getting on with it. Okay, you're starting to wake up a little bit. I like it. Okay. How many of you are reluctantly a morning person? Like you're not liking it very much, but you got to do it. Okay, yep, yep, there you go. That would be me. Okay, I am a reluctant morning person. Um, I, I enjoy drinking coffee, so that part is nice, but I can't stand it when that alarm clock goes off. Anybody with me on that? I can't stand it. Thank goodness they put the alarm clocks on the phone so that you can at least have something that's not you know, yelling at you in the morning because the last thing I want to hear at oh dark 30 in the morning is some little red clock yelling at me, right? Y'all with me on that? But here's, here's the reality. Listen. This whole phrase, rise and go, and this whole idea of being sent by God, it changes the meaning of that alarm that wakes you up in the morning. You with me? Because what it means is that the Spirit of God, okay, is calling you and me in a new adventure every day. When that alarm goes off at whatever time your alarm might go off, okay, you can just hear the voice of God saying, rise and go. Today is another day for you to rise and go. Today's another day for you to rise and go to your school campus. Today's another day for you to rise and go to your workplace. Today's another day for you to rise and go to your gym. Today's another day for you to rise and go to your neighborhood. To to go to all the places that you're going to go throughout the day knowing that you are on mission for Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, called by God to be used for His glory, to make the gospel known wherever you might go changes uh, the whole purpose of our days, right? That alarm clock goes off. It is God 
Christ's call on your life and mine to rise and go. Now the key word in all this is intentionality. It means that we're not just going about our lives bumbling and stumbling along trying to make it through the day. But that now we're going to live our lives with a new intentionality. We're going to reframe our day. We're going to reframe the places that we go and the things that we do. Because now we're going to start thinking like a missionary. And we're going to start thinking, man, we've been called of God and we've been filled by the Spirit of God. And we've been called to His mission. And so all the places where He sends me today, all the places where I'm going to go, I'm not just bumbling and stumbling along trying to get through the day. But I am sent by God to join my everyday life in His everyday mission wherever it is that he has called me to go or wherever it is that he wills me to go it means that we live with great intentionality now i love this in verse 27 in response what did what did uh philip do it says that he rose and went the call of the spirit of god was rise and go and it says that philip uh, rose and went and not just that he rose and went but later on in verse 30 once Philip sees this Ethiopian eunuch on the way it says that he ran to him that is that he enthusiastically joined in the mission of God and that's the call for us as followers of Jesus folks we've been filled by the spirit of God saved by the grace of God and now sent by the word of God to live our lives on mission for his glory wherever he might send us. And it is a call for us to enthusiastically join our lives with him, wherever he sends us, wherever we go throughout the day, not accidentally bumbling and stumbling along, but living with great intentionality, thinking, God, you have sent me. And so I am rising and I am going. Now use me for your glory and for the work you want to accomplish in somebody else's life to make yourself known. And that's the second truth that we get out of this passage. Not only does God send us, but he sends us to people. He sends us to people. So in verse 27 where it says that Philip rose and went, it says there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way back, he'd pulled off on the side of the road. He's seated on the back of his chariot, and it says that he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And the Spirit of the Lord calls to Philip and says, go over and join with this chariot. Now, this was a random run-in for Philip, right? I mean, when, when the Spirit says, rise and go, he doesn't say, rise and go and look for a guy sitting on the back of his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. That's not what he said. He just said, rise and go. But as Philip is rising and going, as he's following the voice of the Lord, as he's obeying enthusiastically what God had put in front of him to do, here's this guy, Right? So sometimes God sends us to random people, people that we don't plan on running into throughout the day. It might be someone you sit next to on the airplane. It might be someone that you, you stand next to in the, or sit in the carpool line with or stand next to in line at the grocery store. It might be some random occurrence that takes place in your neighborhood or you run into a coworker in the office and there's something going on in their life and they begin to share about it and now here's an opportunity for you to minister to that person. It's an opportunity that you didn't plan on, but it is an opportunity that God and His sovereignty has put in front of you because He sends us to people. God's mission is always about people. God's mission is always about people. But it's not just random people that God sends us to. It's also regular people. The people that we see on a regular basis. Our neighbors, those co-workers that we work most closely with, classmates, teammates, 
Guys we work out with at the gym, ladies that we walk with, folks that we meet up with for meals, people that we see on a regular basis. God has sent you to those people, which, listen, it totally reframes the whole deal of our lives, right? Like, we thought that we live in the neighborhood that we live in because we got a great deal on the house. The reality is we live in the neighborhood where we live because God and His sovereignty has placed you there as the missionary to those people that you are living with day in and day out. We, we think... That we work where we work because it was a great opportunity and it came about and the interviews went really well and they offered me a salary package I couldn't turn down. But the reality is you work where you work because the Spirit of God has called you to rise and go to, because He has sent you to be a missionary in that office. We think that we go to the school that we go to because, well, my parents decided to live in this neighborhood and we're zoned for Rock Hill or South Point or Northwestern or wherever it might be. And so I'm just doing what they told me I have to do based on where they draw, you know, the school district lines. But the reality is, in the sovereignty of God, He has called you and He has sent you to that campus, be it a high school, a middle school, an elementary school, or a college campus. And He has called you and He has sent you to be a missionary because God sends His people to people, people that he made in his image for his glory, people that he loves so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to die in our place for our sin, to then be resurrected to new and victorious life, victorious over sin and death. And he sends us to make that good news known to people who have not heard, who do not know, and who have not placed their faith in Jesus. God is on a mission. And he's already at work in the people that are all around us. He was already at work in this Ethiopian eunuch, right? He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He's sitting there on the back of his chariot reading uh, the, the prophet Isaiah. He's reading specific prophecy about Jesus. He's wrestling with this question, who is this, who is this talking about? Listen, you can rest assured that the people that God has sent you and me to, be it co-workers, neighbors, classmates, friends, golf partners, workout buddies, whatever, whoever it might be, okay, you can rest assured that if God has sent you, then he is already at work in their hearts. He's already at work in their lives. He's already revealing himself to them. He's already drawing them. He's already wooing them. He's already stirring in their hearts, calling them to faith, making himself known. And he's now sent you to be his mouthpiece. He's now sent you to live out your transformed life so that they might see and hear the power of the gospel in you and me and through you and me. He is the one who saves, but he loves to use his people to make himself known. And I think that's one of the great gifts of God's grace. God's mission, listen, God's mission is to build and form for himself a people who live for and reflect his glory. That's been his mission for all time and it will be his mission until the final day is culminated when Christ returns and the bride of Christ is brought together. And Revelation paints the picture that we'll gather around the throne of God, right? Singing and declaring, lifting our voices. Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be represented and we'll sing at the top of our lungs. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Scripture's already promised. That's the end. That's where we're going. Do you know, listen, do you know that God could accomplish that mission all by himself? He's perfectly capable. Do you know that he's perfectly capable of accomplishing that mission in the twinkling of an eye? You, you, know, you know how fast the twinkling of an eye is? You ready to find out? You want to find out? Let's find out. Let's do it together. All right, you ready? On the count of three, everybody blink. You ready? One, two, three, blink. That was it. 
That was it. You want to do it again? That was too fast, wasn't it? You want to do it again? Count of three, everybody blink. One, two, three, blink. Just that fast, God could accomplish that mission. He's perfectly capable of doing it all by himself, which means he doesn't need me, doesn't need you, doesn't need the South Carolina Baptist Convention, doesn't need North Rock Hill Church, doesn't even need First Baptist Rock Hill. Doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And what a purpose to live for. Right? That, I mean, your life matters. Your life in relationship with Jesus, your life on mission matters. God has created you and he's saved you and he has sent you to people that he wants to work through you to make himself known so that they can experience the same freeing, transforming power of the gospel that has saved you and transformed you. Isn't that amazing? That you're not just bumbling and stumbling through life, but you are on an eternal mission from God. And he wants to use you in your everyday life to make a difference by sharing the gospel, living out the gospel with people who don't know him. With people who are heading towards a Christless eternity. And God is working to make himself known. And he wants to use you so that they will have the opportunity to join in that every tribe, nation, and tongue gathering that all of history is bending towards and will one day take place, right? Which is then the third truth. That God sends us, he sends us to people, and God sends us to people to show and share the gospel. God sends us to people to show and share the gospel. In verse 31, Philip approaches uh, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch asked, the, he asked it, well, Philip asked him the question in verse 30, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian guy says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip hopped up on the back of the chariot, sat with him, and they began walking through Isaiah together. The call of God upon you and me is for us to come up next to and join people in their lives. To show the gospel, the transforming power of the gospel in our lives. I think about Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, where he said to the church at Thessalonica, it was our joy to not only share the gospel with you, but to share our lives with you. That we got involved and got close in your life. We, we joined our lives together. One of the greatest testimonies to the power of God to change a life is your life and my life lived out for the glory of God. You live your life according to the word of God for the glory of God. It tells a story of the power of God to change a life. And you are able to share your grace story of how God worked in your life to save you and to transform you. It tells a powerful story. It gives hope to people who think that maybe they can experience the same transformation that maybe you or I have experienced it requires humility on our part. It requires wading into relationship. It requires patience. It might get a little bit messy. But the call of God is for us to show the gospel in our lives. To share with those around us. Not just our words, but to share our lives. But at some point, at some point, we can't just show the gospel. At some point, we have to share the gospel. At some point, we have to open our lips. In verse 35, uh, it says that Philip opened his mouth. Right? It wasn't just that Philip went and got next to him and sat close to him right? and they had a little moment together. But at some point, Philip's got to open his mouth to, to declare the gospel. And so in verse 35, it says that Philip began with the scripture he was reading in Isaiah and he told him the good news about Jesus. 
Beginning with Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. And what a story he had to tell, right? Because it had just happened. (laughs) It had just happened. And he could tell it. And he shared the gospel. He opened his mouth and 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 he shared. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 that we as followers of Jesus should always be ready. Always be ready to give a reason, to give an answer for the hope that we have in the gospel. And do so with gentleness and respect. You see, God sends us. He sends us to people. And he sends us to people to show the gospel in our lives and to share the gospel with our lips. And I want you to hear this. Sharing the gospel with our lips is absolutely critical to the mission of God advancing and for every man, woman, and child to have the opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. And I want you to see that in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 10. Uh, I want to just, I'll read this. If you want to flip over, you can. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, or I'm sorry, verse 13 to 17, Paul says this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he says this, a series of rhetorical questions. He says, how, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, if you take the truth of what Paul shares in these few verses of scriptures and, uh, and through these rhetorical questions that he asks, there are some things that we can see. He says that, that those who call on the name of the Lord, verse 13, those who call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved, right? And he says that, that those who uh, believe will call, right? So if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he says he is, then we will call on him as Lord, which Paul said just earlier in verses 9 and 10. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. So everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, okay? All those who believe in their heart who Jesus is, they call on the Lord, says that those who hear the gospel of those, some of them will believe. All right, so those who call on the name of the Lord are those who have had an opportunity to hear the gospel, and some of them who hear will believe and will call. The only place where there's an opportunity for this to break down, this plan of God to make himself known, is in this question that Paul asks, how then will they call on him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Who is the someone who preaches? The trained professional pastors? The trained professional missionaries? The church planters? Yes. But that's not all. Because every follower of Jesus is called to join in the mission of God. Sent by God to people to show the gospel and to share the gospel with your lips. And the promise of God is this, that if you and I will share, some who hear will believe, and all who believe will call, and all who call will be saved. The only question is, will you and I share it? Will you and I preach it? Now, here's the exponential power of this idea, of your one life being used of God, joining in His everyday mission. I want you to imagine that over the next 12 months, 
a firefall of revival sweeps across First Baptist Rock Hill. And then the next 12 months, a thousand people are added to this faith family. Would that be a reason to celebrate? Amen, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Let's imagine that this unprecedented supernatural move of God that takes place over the next 12 months doesn't stop at the end of 12 months, but it continues on for 30 years. Can you imagine coming to church with 30,000 people? You guys are going to have to get a bigger barn, right? You have to get a bigger parking lot. Probably have to build an extension off of Dave Lyle, you know, Boulevard here, right? I mean, you have to do a lot of stuff, but wouldn't it be worth it? Man, all these people coming. Man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? You know what else would happen? You know what else would happen? Everybody in the country would want to come to Rock Hill and figure out what in the world's going on at First Baptist, right? You guys would be on the cover of all the magazines. The Baptist Courier would probably do a big feature story on you, like every year, right? Because it's unbelievable. A thousand people a year for 30 years. This is unbelievable. At the end of that 30 years, we'd have 30,000 people gathering, having heard, responded to the gospel, continuing to respond to the gospel. Right? That would be unbelievable. But I want you to think about this. At the same time that the church is growing by a thousand people, what if you, each one of you, or let's just take you, take yourself, one. You, over the next 12 months, prayed for, invested your life in, shared the gospel with, led to Christ, and discipled one new believer. One new believer over the next 12 months. You did that with one person. Okay, Church grows by a thousand. That's big. You invest in and lead one person to Christ, teach them to follow Jesus. Okay, Now let's say the next year, church grows by another thousand, and you turn around and you do the same thing, and the person you led to Christ and discipled in the faith this year turns around and does the same thing, right? Okay, so you, from you, we went from one to two, and then from two to four, right? At the same time, the church uh, has grown by 2,000 people, okay? So the church is lapping you right now, right? But fast forward that same thing. I'll say every year, one person, you lead to Christ, disciple them in the faith, train them to turn around and do the same thing with somebody else the next year, and they turn around and do that, and you keep doing that for 33 years. Do you know how many people will be reached with the gospel? Eight. Point five billion with a B. And the same time that the church could reach 30,000, you, by investing your life in one person a year, and then training that person to turn around and invest their life in somebody the next year, and you go find somebody else the next year, and do that for 33 consecutive years, the world would be reached with the gospel. How do we reach the world? One life at a time. How do we reach every man, woman, and child? One life at a time. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be awesome to add that many people to the church. I'm not saying that. But the way to reach the world exponentially, that's the way of Jesus. It's what he did. It's what he came. It's what he modeled. It's what he did. It's what he commissioned us to do. It's what he did in the book of Acts, and it's what he's still doing today. And the invitation is still the same for you and me. And so here's the question I want us to think about today as we close. Here's the question. Who's close to you but far from God? Who's close to you but far from God? Think of one person. Who's close to you but far from God? Neighbor, family member, best friend, co-worker, classmate, teammate, workout partner, golf buddy. Who's close to you but far from God? Okay, that's the first question. Second question, guess who the missionary is? You, right? 
So what if over the next 12 months you committed to pray? You committed to invest your life in that one person? You committed to share the gospel with that person? By God's grace, let's pray and hope they'll come to faith in Christ. And once they come to faith in Christ, you walk with them and teach them how to live their lives on mission and do the same thing for somebody else that you've done for them. Could you commit to that this morning? Who's close to you but far from God? God has sent you to that person to show and share the gospel that they might be saved and transformed and the mission of God might advance so that every man, woman, and child in this community to the end of the earth has the opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the gospel.